this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Will you pray with me? God, thank you that we can still gather and worship you and hear your word. Uh, Calm our hearts and still our minds so that we may focus on you um, and hear from you this morning so that we may be transformed and that we we may bless others. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I came to this passage, we just read it, you guys know, um, I kind of thought, oh geez, what am I gonna do with this? Um, There's a lot there. I could probably preach 10 different sermons with the same passage, um, but I gave it my best shot. Um, I thought, how am I going to relate the generally well-off Western church to this persecuted church that Peter is speaking to? How am I gonna relate to this personally as someone who's never been persecuted for my faith? Um, So as I struggled with that, I looked at it, I dug into it a little bit, and the first thing that stood out to me was the first verse, so that's convenient. Um, And it says that we are to be zealous for good. But I was like, zealous? That's an interesting word to pair with goodness. Um, I kind of had a negative connotation of that. I thought of the zealots um, in the time of Jesus who um, were aggressive and fought Um, politically and did not want peace with the Roman Empire and hated other Jewish people that did. Um, Why would I want to be like them? And so, um, but then I kind of started to unpack that and, um, you know, instead of seeing them as a paradox, to see how we can bring them together in tension. Um, So I'm going to start with good um, and our idea of what good is. Um, And I immediately thought of um, my parents and all parents saying, be good uh, when you go to a friend's house or your grandparents' house um, and even to church. And so to be good in church, usually that meant that um, you were quiet, you sat still, and you didn't bother anyone. Um, But is that really what kids are created to do in church? Is that what everyone around them really wants? Well, maybe some people, but one of my favorite things about churches in the past when we all can gather together um, is when kids are not quiet, Um, when they come running into their parents and excitedly show them what they made in Sunday school, or um, when they are just kindly engaging with the people around them. Um, One of my favorites is when a baby is smiling at me from in front of me. That's that's a good one. Um, But kids are good when they're doing what they are created to do. Um, And the same is for us. They are created to laugh and to explore God and life and love. Um, And I love when they do that in the church. Um, So then I started thinking about the word zealous um, and what that means to me. Um, Like I said, I kind of had a negative connotation. um, And you'll see that in my examples. Um, But the first person I thought of was Clark Griswold from Christmas Vacation. That man was zealous for some Christmas lights. He untangled thousands of bulbs brought his son into it, 
um, and strung them up all over his house. Um, and when they are finally able to come, come on, the entire power of the whole city shut down. Um, and as he couldn't figure out how to keep them on, um, they also consequently blinded the neighbors a bunch and they destroyed their house sometime, somehow, um, as Christmas vacation does. Another person I thought of who's zealous is Saul before he becomes Paul in the New Testament. Um, he is zealous for his faith. Um, but out of that zealousness, it caused him to kill and persecute Christians. I also thought of people who go to college campuses with the big signs um, and want to communicate that um, all the students that walk the streets are sinners. And so as I continue to process what it means to be zealous, um, these things that they were zealous for aren't inherently bad, um, but the heart behind it is a little off. Um, Christmas lights are beautiful and so enjoyable at Christmas time, but Clark was not being a very good neighbor. Um, he shut the power off and destroyed his neighbor's house somehow. Um, it's definitely not bad to be zealous for your faith, um, but it is wrong to um, take that zealousness um, and kill people for people who do not share that faith. Um, and again, it is wonderful to spread the name of Jesus and what he's done for us and how he loves us, um, but it is not good to spread it in a way that is hateful or without love. So being zealous after our own good is not, actually, not always what's actually good. Um, we, do not, we can't stop at the first verse of this passage and make up what we want it to be. And so the passage goes on to say that we should not fear suffering for righteousness' sake. And I struggle with this, again, I talked about this at the beginning, um, that the Western church just does not face um, the kind of suffering that Peter's church was facing. Um, there's not groups of people and our government is not waiting at our doors with pitchforks, um, waiting to kill us or um, to cause us harm for our faith. We might face hard times and suffering, but it is usually not because of our faith or um, what we believe in or where we go to church. Um, and I think honestly this has made us a little soft um, and we avoid any type of pain that um, might come from pursuing good and zealously pursuing good. And that pain might be um, the awkwardness of a conversation you don't wanna have or reaching out to someone and getting rejected or um, having less money because of um, the way that you chose to, to live your life. I and mean, then like the verses say, we might even face, face slander. And as we go on in the passage um, and we zealously pursue good, we must do this alongside honoring Christ as holy. Um, so we can't have our own definition of what good is. Like I said before, we have to look at Christ's holy definition of good. Um, and with that, remembering the living hope that we've been talking about in this sermon series. So seeking good might not be what, it, what we think it is. Um, so let's turn to the life of Jesus. Um, it can be kind of hard to wrap our head around what it means to be good. So let's look at what Jesus did. Um, he lived his life perfectly aware of God. Um, he, he lived a life that perfectly relied on God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Um, I think we kind of miss that in the scriptures of how much Jesus really relied on the Holy Spirit. We see him loving people purely and um, hanging out with people on the margins, people that um, people in our society don't always go to or love. 
Um, he loved the vulnerable and he related to them and he stood against systems that oppressed them. Um, if I had to really describe Jesus, it would be radical and selfless. Um, I think we miss also sometimes how radical Jesus' life was, but when we look at the context of when he was alive and living, um, it was truly radical. Um, he also treated people with dignity because he knew that they were made in the image of God, and he knew exactly what that meant. We spend lots of times in sermons trying to understand the image of God, but Jesus knew. Um, so we see Jesus pursued the ultimate good. He zealously pursued it, um, and he suffered the most extreme suffering. Um, and so I think, in a way, Peter's church understands how Jesus really lived his life. So if Jesus is our example, we should center our lives around him. Um, but again, we don't exactly know what that looks like. Our righteousness came from when um, Jesus died and rose again. Um, and our, our, our hearts are able to seek God's definition of goodness through this, through the Holy Spirit, um, through our baptism into the death and resurrection of Jesus. And as I sought this definition of God's good, um, I came to one of my favorite scriptures, and it's Micah 6, 8. And I'm going to read a, the couple verses before it so that we really understand the context. It says, With what should I approach the Lord? Should I come before him with entirely burned offerings, with year-old calves? With the Lord, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with many torrents of oil? Should I give my oldest child for my crime, the fruit of my body for the sin of my spirit? He has told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you, to do justice, to embrace faithful love, and to walk humbly with your God. Um, I like this verse because unlike our verse in 1 Peter, I totally understand what the Israelites are going through. How do I please God? Um, do I give him all of this nice oil? Do I give him my best cows? Do I um, give him my firstborn child? Can't imagine offering that, but that's what they are offering. That's how badly they wanted to be in relationship with God in this moment. Um, and for us, I think we think, should I be tithing more? Should I be giving more of my time to the church? Um, should I um, start a nonprofit to meet the needs of my community? Should I do this? Should I do that? How does service look differently in quarantine? And so, you know, what, we, what the answer is, though, is not all of these things. It's to do justice, to embrace faithful love, and to walk humbly with our God. It's so much simpler, but also so much deeper. And so, as we go deeper into this, um, I love how so much of Scripture boils down to loving God and loving neighbor. This is God's original intent for humanity, was to love God and to love each other. And again, when we do what we are created to do, it is good. And so, again, as God is revealed in scripture, um, we see that God meets people where they are. I say this all the time, I'm sorry if I get repetitive, but I love that God meets people where they are. He understands them and through that loves them well. Um, relationships with humans can be really hard work. We know this, we live this. I myself can be really hard to love sometimes. Um, but when, the times in my life when I think on it that I've experienced God's goodness the most is when I have loved and received love well. And so when we look at what it looks like to love well, again, we can look at Jesus. He's always the best example, and we're in our year of, with Jesus. 
Um, and so I love the way that Jesus responds to the individual. He um, responds to different people differently. Um, and so I have a few examples of that. So when people are dominating on, the, on their high and mighty horse, um, full of power, he brings them down a little bit. He brings them down to the center where loving relationship is. Um, and I, we see this when Jesus is telling his disciples, predicting his suffering and his death, and Peter steps up and says, no, this is not how this is going to happen. Absolutely not, you are not gonna die. This is not how this is going down. And Jesus responds with, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> that's a very strong way to respond, and that's a whole other sermon. Um, but Peter had just been, um, Jesus had just given Peter um, the word that he would be the rock on which the church would be built. That's a lot of power. And so Jesus wanted to lead Peter into this, saying, you won't be demanding what will or will not happen in the church. You will be following me. Um, and this is, what's going to be hap this is how it's going to happen. He didn't re revoke relationship or revoke the church, but he stood firm against G uh, Peter's dominating power there. When people are low on power and humble, he, he lifts them up, he empowers them. Um, so an example of this is when Jesus comes to John the Baptist and asks him to baptize him. And that John the Baptist is like, what, I, I can't baptize you. You should be baptizing me. Why, why is this happening this way? Um, but Jesus gently reminds him that um, this is what God the Father intended and this is what will happen and empowers him to do it, even though Jesus could have baptized himself in that moment, but he brought John the Baptist into it out of his humility. Another thing that happens in relationships is that people will try to avoid them. They'll isolate themselves. And an example of this is the woman at the well. Um, she's there at the hottest time of the day and um, does not want to see people, is constantly avoiding people so that if she, because if she faces them, she has to face the shame of her life. But Jesus seeks her out and graciously pulls her into relationship. And the last thing that Jesus does in relationships um, and in loving people is that he sets boundaries. Um, and I think that can be really hard for Christians sometimes because uh, somewhere along the way we decided that to be a good person or to be a good Christian, you always have to say yes. Um, but even Jesus took time to take care of himself. Even Jesus, uh, when people were demanding um, healing or teaching or time with him, he would sometimes say, no, not right now. And so Jesus is always inviting us into the center, into relationship with him. And he pulls people to the center. If you're way up here, high and mighty, dominating, he brings you down. If you are lowly, he pulls you up and empowers you. If you are isolating, he pulls you in. And if you are um, just encroaching and um, being overly zealous in the wrong way um, with relationships, he sets boundaries. And so Jesus is a wonderful example, but I did wanna close with um, a human example. Um, one of my favorite people in history is Martin Luther King Jr. And he is an example of someone who zealously sought God's definition of good, um, even in the face of suffering. He faced a lot of suffering and ultimately his death. Um, but he loved in the way that God calls us to love. Um, and he, he understood the image of God and knew that the way that people were being treated for the color of their skin was wrong and not okay. Um, and rather than submitting to that, 
he stood firm. Um, the president and other people would wonder, like, why are, you do, why are you staying in Birmingham? It's one of the most brutal cities in America. Why would you be here? And his response was, I am here because injustice is here. Um, and so instead of um, submitting to his own fear, I'm sure, I'm sure that Martin Luther King was afraid on some days. He had bricks thrown through his window. One of his pastor friends had his house bombed. Of course he would be scared, but he didn't respond in the natural way. He could have either fought or he could have like, fight or flight. Um, so he could have run away or he could have fought. Um, but he went about things um, in, non, in a nonviolent way. And I think that's something that we can really look to as something of seeking good zealously, but also the good that God defines as good. Um, so as we close, and as we see the injustices in, in the world, I pray that Andover will zealously seek good. Um, as we look to Peter's church, we see them standing firm and holding on to Jesus. But as a church that doesn't have to face injustices of our own right, I hope that we will um, model after Jesus, that we will um, challenge people that are dominating, that we will empower people that do not have a lot of power in their lives, that we will bring people into relationship that are trying to avoid it, and that we will set boundaries um, in our lives, um, no matter how uncomfortable any of those things might be. That is my prayer for our church. So let's pray. God, thank you that you are a God that zealously seeks our good. Help us to see where we can seek good in our lives. Be present and help those who are persecuted for their faith. Be especially present with them. And in this time of separation, I ask that you join our hearts together, um, that we can um, still be the church in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.